Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What is it post-surgery, two years later, and a loss in boxing different that would make you think you should ask for Francis versus Jones? What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Guys, we are so close to the Madison Square Garden show, and on the back end of today's episode, I'm going to discuss one of my most anticipated fights of the year, Prohaska versus Piera. And before that, I'm going to tell you some drama that's going on between Leon Edwards and Ian Gary. But let me begin today's episode with the subject that got me into quite a shouting match with Ariel Hawani on Wednesday. Misconceptions and the evil, awful Dana White. Now, I continue to see headlines and a narrative, including from some of our best known reporters within the sport of MMA. And they are continuing to make very polite and very nice statements about Francis Ngannou. And they are continuing to talk about the evil Dana White in the aftermath of Engano Fury, which took place in a different country known as England and had nothing to do with Dana White. Nothing. So it's an interesting theme to me. And it continues to draw me in because I want to hear what this person has to say. And I will always, on a different note, I don't expect you to do this. I will, on a different note, be judging what they say. And then I will instantly form a fight IQ for them. And the fight business is not what you think it is. There's only a few people alive that know what it is. There is no book you can check out. There's no library you can go to. And when that person comes along, they they can't give it away. They just can't. Think if you have, in a silly comparison, but one that you'll understand, think if you have the winning lottery numbers. Now, if you keep those, you get to go and win the jackpot. And you will share that jackpot per the rules with anyone else who luckily has those same numbers. But if you came out and you told people what those numbers are, that was nice or that was generous or you just wanted credit, you just wanted to show them ahead of time that you had some ability to know what it is. And then that pot gets divided a million times. It's a very different scenario. And there's reasons why if you had information that you would preserve the information. However, when I read about the evil, awful Dana White, even when I read about the antitrust lawsuit going on, The one thing that would clear all of this and make that go away, the one thing 
is accurate information about the fight business. So now you're really put to the test. Do I want to give the answers that only five other people alive know? Or do I want to take the risk of whatever might happen with this elongated process, but continue to preserve the information? It's an interesting scenario. So the evil, awful Dana White, the way the story goes, is the one thing that stopped this amazing sporting spectacle of Francis and Fury from happening. But lo and behold, they dug deep, they found a way, they operated in spite of the man. Now, the biggest problem with that claim is the reality of the timeline. I must give Francis a lot of credit, but one thing, if I'm telling the story, that I must also credit him for is Francis appears to be nice. When Francis chose, after his fight with Surreal Gone, to come and tell the world at a press conference what his reservations with his current contract were, he didn't have to do that. He didn't do that to negotiate. He wanted to level with the fans. If you don't see me back, if you don't see me definitive, if you don't see me in a timely fashion, he wanted to let the other competitors know, look, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm trying to get it worked out. Happy to come back, happy to compete when you want to do it. I'm hearing John Jones, whatever the situation. But let, let me let you know something in the order of events in my next life. Step number one, before training camp, before you're going to see me competing, I got to get something worked out. That was nice of Francis because he did it in a nice way. He's very calm. He didn't raise his tone, which could be intimidating, right? Think of an angry Francis Ngannou. He didn't use profanity. He didn't threaten people. And he very much understood. And proof of that was when Kevin Ioli at that press conference asked him, Francis, I have heard that your contract will expire in December, right? This is February that he gets asked this. The fact of the knee surgery and the injury that he had and all that, that's subsequent because that hasn't been revealed at this point. Timeline matters. Kevin Ioli says, I'm hearing that you expire in December. If you can't get things resolved, are you willing to wait that long for it to expire? And Francis said yes, but it also let us know that everybody understood, and again to my point about Francis offering us information to set our expectations as well as those of the fellow competitors, he did it all. Okay, now it becomes relevant that we have the knee injury because subsequent and regardless of the contract situation, Subsequent to the idea that John Jones is returning in this massive fight, we can't get there because we now we also have an injury, which helps Francis in this terms of the story, at least in terms of public's opinion, because it wasn't a matter of what the dollars were or who the opponent or what the date or what the venue was. None of those things matter. You can't do it anyway dealing with an injury, and we understand those things, but a massive respect was shown. Yuri Prohaska was hurt for seven days when he was no longer the champion. Jamal Hill, whether it's their choices or not, Jamal Hill, 17 days. And there was a 10-month period just because of the injury, aside from the contract where Francis wasn't able to compete. But there was no interim championship and there was not a stripping of the champion, which allowed him to walk out the door, the heavyweight champion. 
which is a very different story, which is very helpful to Francis. Now, timetable, okay? When the negotiations didn't work, the UFC has what they call an exclusive negotiating period. After that, it will default to a right of refusal, meaning if Francis, once he isn't bound to only in good faith speak with the UFC and negotiate, once he can go out and speak to others and does, should he find a deal that he accepts, that deal then goes to the UFC for the UFC to say, we'll do it. Right to match is what this is called. And it's a big deal, even if the spirit to get something done isn't there, you can just hurt a guy. You can just tie a guy up. We see such incredible importance to timing. Use the one other example we had of Conor McGregor versus Floyd. That fight doesn't work if Floyd isn't 49-0 and going for 50, which was a big goal that he had established to the market years before, and it doesn't work if Conor McGregor is not a simultaneous two-division UFC champion. It's a very different scenario. They don't get them together. If those boys go try to find each other today, it won't work right. The timing matters. Chuck versus Tito part three that nobody watched and drove a company out of business. I don't fault those guys for it. I'm sharing you. It worked back here when they were in your youth, when they were in the top of the game, when there's a belt out, right? It was a very different scenario. So to execute, or rather to enforce your right to match clause, even if you're not talking to the guy and you've got no, no plans to do it, you just want to do it to be annoying and hold the guy up, you have the right. Dana didn't do that. He came out publicly and said, we are granting Francis a full release, no right to match, no exclusive 90-day period. He is free to go and reach a deal with anyone he would like to. And that right there, right, when you, when you understand about the knee injury, so you understand whether there was a back and forth or not, you use leveraging and positioning, which is a very normal thing to do, right? To, to use the power of a contract is the whole reason that you have a contract. None of those things were done, and none of those things cost Francis a single day of work because couldn't go to work, had the knee injury. So as soon as he's free, as soon as he's better, he's got a full release and he can go. And the understanding of that, all of which is public information, it's just something that you either never had or you didn't store away or you forgot until I reminded you, absolutely clears any of this evil, awful Dana White business. Now, the misconception, okay, and Francis versus Fury. I haven't seen a sporting event like this. I haven't personally participated. I've been participating in media and coming to you guys for the better part of a decade. Nowhere in that time have I been in a spot where we've talked about and celebrated and had an excitement after the event happened. Never like this. People are still talking about the judges. People are saying, I mean, pe people that, that you would care about that matter, meaningful names. I just rewatched it again last night. How many times have you guys heard that? I watched this thing four times now. Okay, how many times have you guys heard that? I know you've heard it before. How many times have you heard that from more people about a contest or a sport event that already happened? You ever met a guy that goes, ah, you know, Super Bowl from 1990. I just rewatched it again last night. Like, it, it's a very uncommon thing, but we're hearing it. I mean, this is a very normal way of speak right now within our space. I rewatched it again. I saw it for the fifth time. It's, it's one of those things that will miss conception. It will mislead you into how big 
an event was from a pay-per-view standpoint, it bombed. Now, it did reach expectations. The networks that held it are not leaving disappointed and with their ass kicked. They had projections. They had an idea of where it was going to go. They based marketing dollars around that. There's no harm, no foul. We knew from Jump Street that Saudi Arabia was going to write a great big check. And they knew from Jump Street they were not going to recoup it. They were going to have a loss. But they were playing a different game, which was not the boxing and or the sporting game. It's a commercial, right? I share that with you because when you talk about the evil awful and you talk about the misconceptions, you now have a loss. But the stories and the way they're coming out is Francis should be able to resign. He should be able to pursue this. He's great. We should fix this. He should be the champion. Like these things are very nice of you to say, but they also disclose your lack of understanding. So if you were to put yourself in the decision maker's shoes and judge what you would do, apparently you would go sign him for an endless amount of money. And apparently, if you had the right to him, you would allow somebody else to sign him and they have the money and they go and participate. That's what the claim is. But you're making that claim, not not just unliterally and in fictional world, you're making that claim without understanding how the business works and what it is you need for protection. Look, when that fight was a bomb, I don't give it a hard time. It's, It's a unique thing. Nobody knew until it was done that Connor, who'd never boxed, could compete for a half hour. No one understood that. So, why did it bomb? Why would a lineal heavyweight champion sitting and reigning, the biggest draw in the entire sport of boxing, versus a UFC heavyweight champion, who's no longer champion, but he never lost, from a competitive nature, never lost his belt. Like, that seems like a good storyline. Why? Why was that not a big... As you look back, and don't don't lie. Don't act like you couldn't wait for it. You barely slept that night. Don't act like that. Don't act like when you would go to work, you'd be talking to all your buddies and everybody was discussing this. Don't ask like, there was three different parties you were invited to, but you watched it alone. It, it wasn't like that. That is a misconception. That is you misconstruing and mistelling the story after the fact. Talking about prior to the match, why was it a miss? Why was it not working? Why the only way could we get that fight together is if we found an entity that was willing to lose. Why? Do you have the answer? Because there wasn't a significance. That is the key to today's entire lesson. There wasn't a significance. If Francis Ngannou won... We, the audience, were not informed that there would be a rematch if Francis won. We were not informed that that would draw him into fill in the blank. If Francis won, he doesn't become the champion. The WBO, for whatever reason, decided to not put the belt up. So when you lose a significance, you have a very big problem. And why did they not have the ability to have a significance? Why did they not have the ability? Right, when you've got the evil, awful Dana White and the evil, awful Empire, which I keep hearing match with your misconceptions, you got to marry these together. Why was there not an ability? You think the promoter didn't think of it? It appears that the promoter does think that way. 
That is what Usyk represented. That is what a signed contract prior to the match. That is what this whole thing being turned into a dual commercial. One for the geographical location and one to build the December 23rd fight between Usyk and Fury. So we understand that they understood. Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they do it for Francis? Why didn't they, like every other major fight, every Mike Tyson fight, every Vander Holyfield fight, every Floyd Mayweather fight, why didn't they leak to the audience that there is an automatic rematch clause? Why didn't they do any of those things? Because they couldn't do them. That's the part that you're not understanding at all. It was a one-off. A promoter will never, and that's a broad stroke, you, if you go back 70 years, could find three exceptions to the claim I just made. A promoter will never do something with a guy that they have on what's called a one-off. They have to have protection. A promoter will never sign an athlete to any deal that isn't a minimum of three. And when number three comes and these two are done, he might as well just look at it like he has one. They're going to extend it before they put him into a title fight in case he wins. So they now have a repercussion, good or bad, they now have the ability to have a repercussion, which is the only thing that gives it significance. And it's the part that everybody is missing right now. Eddie Hearn came out and he floated an idea. He did not get the response that he wanted, so he's not pursuing this idea, but he floated an idea the other day that he would like to get Francis and match him up with Joshua, which, by the way, is a fight that works. Call it Rumble in the Jumble Part 2 and take it to Africa. He didn't get the response from you guys. But it's one of these very interesting parts of the business that you fail to understand. Why is somebody not coming to Francis and offering him a crazy amount of money? Because he's under contract with the PFL. He doesn't have an ability to sign a multi-fight deal. So if you think you're a great promoter and a great businessman and you're going to come to the table with $20 million for Francis and you're going to get him in there with Fury, you're going to have to follow the industry standard, put him on a minimum of three fights. He, Francis, is not going to agree to that deal. Unless there's an escalation in the financial participation in each of those three fights. Well, what do you do if he loses? And how many opponents do you believe that you have for him right now? If everything goes great, how many opponents do you have? I will concede you. You have Fury. You have Wilder. You have Joshua. So there's three. Do you have a fourth? Do you have a fifth? How confident are before you sign that contract with an absolute guarantee that has a deadline? Which means if you think you can get those guys, you got to go get those guys and you got to get them within this time frame. How confident are that you could do that to not give a one fight deal because you got this one great fight that you could do it three times? That is the part of the business that you don't understand, you've never understood, and that you never take into calculation and consideration when you attempt to put yourself in their shoes and say, well, they should have done this. I would have done this. You don't get to do this. You got to do this times three. You got to make them all work. So now that you have 776 of these very problems that I just laid on you, I just laid an algorithm for you who has played this from the beginning of time of I would do this, I would do this. Well, I just gave you 776 because that's how many contracts you have. So when you have the great night that actually hits it out of the park, this is what your whole dream when you got in this business to start with was about. And somebody else comes to you and tells you 
The piece of the pie should have been larger in these directions. You know the truth, which is tonight was a good night, but I have 776, of which 772 are complete flops. And tonight's great night that you speak about has got to feed all of them. So you let me handle what I've promised and guaranteed to do. If I ever break what I promised and guaranteed, you come and flame me with the pitchforks and the lanterns. Do it all you want. But that is the only litmus test I should be held to. Doing honest business and doing what I said I would do. If it's anything else, why are you even bringing it up? So you have a free agent in Francis Ngannou. And it looks like it all worked out. It looked like he figured it out. So now you have the dream of also becoming a free agent. You must understand when it all worked out, it was a very unique situation where you had an entity who was openly willing to lose. That's a very hard thing to find. And the reason that a Bob Arum, a top rank, and Eddie Hearn, a matchroom boxing, the reason that they haven't come to the table with the big contracts is they got to have three. And if you're a free agent, while that might sound like a really cool thing to you, it turns into a very big problematic situation for the promoter. So you have Deontay Wilder in the situation, in the same spot where you could go and make that fight. I love that. I would be really interested in that. But it is going to have the same problem that tanked the pay-per-view of Fury and Gano. And no, it's not that it's on at 11 in the morning Pacific time. The problem is you don't have either. You don't have either guy on a multi-fight deal because they're free agents. So now you have a one-off, which is just for fun. It's just a test. It's just to see what happens. There's something to that. That's just not massive business. There has to be a consequence positive for the winner, negative for the loser. There has to be a consequence. It's the problem with using the word exhibition. It's the problem with understanding this is going to be a one night and a one time. And whether we sanction or not, we won't put our belt up and won't put our belt up because neither one of these guys is going to give it back. It doesn't matter who wins. Neither guy is under a contract. We have nowhere we can go from here. If we end up with the greatest fight ever, with the most attention and most attraction, we don't have a contract to redo it. We don't have an ability. We can't go on. We've got to come out to the public, come up with an excuse, put it behind us, and try to sell Usyk. Which, if that was the fight they wanted, he wouldn't be in the front row tonight. He'd be in the ring tonight. So you keep him there, you sit him, you attempt to build it to try to get a return on your investment. And this is a massive part of the fight business that not only do you not understand, you've never even taken into consideration. Do you think that Dana White president of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, located in Southern Las Vegas. Do you think he would like to book Francis Ngannou versus John Jones? Do you think that? Yeah, do you? Okay. Because you've read headlines where that's been suggested, right? 
Okay. And those headlines were put on media outlets that are respected within the sport of MMA, right? Sure. And those respected websites within the space of MMA got those quotes from people connected on the inner circle of the principal actors here, one being John Jones and one being Francis Ngannou, right? Yeah, okay, so you think that, right? Okay. Now, do you know that John Jones is hurt? Has anyone told you that? So that, that fight that Dana would be booking would be for a year from now. Did you know that part? You did? Okay. Did you know that John's already expected to fight Stipe? Did you know that part? Did you know there's about to be an interim champion? Theory withdrawn to the undisputed champion who's currently John Jones. Are you aware of all of those things? You are. You are. You've heard all of those things. Okay. But one minute and 23 seconds ago, I asked you if you think that Dana would be interested in booking John versus Francis, and you said yes. Why'd you say that? Why'd you say it? You said it because you heard someone close to it say it. Somebody that should know, right? They muddied your mind. But you still said it. Now, did you think it a week ago? One week ago, did you think that Dana wanted to sign John Jones and Francis? Yes or no? No, you didn't? Okay. And what's different this week than was we true a week ago? Francis has lost a match. That's true. That's true. Francis was 0-0 zero and zero a week ago in the sport of boxing, and he's 0-1 and one now. That's true. That really happened. And that led you to the conclusion that Francis could knock out John Jones, right? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay. So now you want to see it, but what you're really saying is you want to see John Jones get beat. Ultimately, that's what you're saying. And that's not a problem. That is very like-minded with many MMA fans. With anybody that's great. For example, if Francis Ngannou goes on to win his next 10 fights, as exciting as that is, that poor kid from the sand mines and he's showing the world and isn't this great, the world will then turn on him and they'll be turning in to see him get beat too. Like, that's the nature of the beast. But why do you think Francis could knock out John Jones? Why would you think that? Because you follow the sport? Because you're really smart? Because Francis is so much bigger? Is that is that why? When Conor McGregor went in there after going 30 minutes with Floyd, you all thought he was a dangerous striker too, didn't you? And then Khabib, who wasn't a striker, outstruck him and put him on his ass. Now, one doesn't have to be the other. You tried to show me how smart you were, and I'm giving you a reference point as well off the top of my head. Now, you still think that Dana would want to sign Francis and Conway? Why is it that you think that? Dana had Francis Ngannou under contract as the champion and had John Jones under contract who was going to return at an unknown date, but once he weighed roughly 240 pounds. Not a lot of information to go on, 
But Dana did name John Jones the number one contender for whoever the champion was. And actually, the day that Dana said that, Stipe Miocic was a champion. It didn't have everything to do with John versus Francis, but it worked out that way. And Dana could have signed it. And he didn't. And when he could have signed it, both Jones and Francis were one injury better than they are today. And injuries when you're the better part of 40 are very different than when you're the better part of 14. We can all agree on that. So if he didn't do it then when he had them and they both were pre-surgery, what is it post-surgery two years later and a loss in boxing different that would make you think you should use the breath the good Lord gave you to predict and ask for Francis versus Jones. Why would you think that? Why would you even say it? It's a very interesting concept. And when you don't have the competition, you're left with public perception. So if you ask for a fight that you could have had, you are the one that found a way so that you couldn't have it. When one door closes, another door opens. I fully understand. But I'm sharing, when you chose for that other door to open, part of that is making sure and having a full understanding that this door against John Jones is closed. That's true. That happened. But before that happened, you were the champion and you had a contract and your knee wasn't hurt and you didn't have surgery scheduled. And you were willing to fight John Jones and he was healthy and he was younger and he was more experienced. And he elected to stay home and drink protein pick up heavy things, then come to fight you. That's also true. He did not call you out. He since called you a whole bunch of muscles and nothing but a big old and the P word. He since has. But when he could have fought you, he did not. He didn't say anything, as a matter of fact. That would be a very helpful fact for you to bring up. Instead of looking thirsty and hungry and trying to return to a place that you just left because you weren't happy there. But you believe that Dana would like to make the fight two surgeries and one loss after he had the chance to make the fight that he didn't make. And you think that because you read that. And you read it because somebody close to the situation said it. And, and, and it's the key to this piece. Those aren't the only two reasons you think it. You also think it because you're a little bit stupid. Dana got asked if he's about Fury and Gano. He said that he was not mad. 
and he was then asked a follow-up question, something along the lines of, will you let other fighters, now that you've seen it, now that Fury and Gano's happened, will you let your fighters go box? And Dana said no. They left it there. The media left it there, but when they wrote the article, and other media members that heard this conversation, when they wrote the article, wrote it in the vein that Dana cannot admit that he was wrong about Fury and Gano. And that is overwhelming. That is overwhelmingly a narrative within the dirt sheets to the point that I haven't seen one article that wasn't within that tone. Do you guys know specifically what that means? Like when they say to Dane, I don't want to take anything for granted here. I take things for granted all the time. And then, I, and then I'm always left wondering, was this not explained well, or is the audience that dumb? I don't know. I don't know the answer. But allow me to not take anything for granted. Of course, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about other people's audience. But fighters exclusively must compete within your organization. Now, in MMA, which started with the UFC, it has now trickled and just been a policy amongst the other MMA brands as well. But the policy was you are allowed to grapple, can, uh, including professionally, but you may not do anything that involves a strike, which would encompass kickboxing, boxing, and MMA. We understand that. The reason for that even got stated somewhere over time, you must understand this is just a policy. It, it could be taken back. You're not even allowed to grapple, right? Just, just for example. But at some point, the policy even got qualified by saying that the strike could lead to damage, which could stop you from being able to do your MMA career, just for example. Up until this point, and knock on wood, and let's hope it continues, an athlete under contract has not been hurt in a grappling match. Therefore, it is viewed as though that's just good, solid fun and a good, solid workout. And if that's something that you want to do, go right ahead. Now, I'm drawing that distinction for you. Before I go back to the narrative that was created from the question, Dana was asked flat out, are you mad? He said no. But we know better, right? Everybody that wrote an article on that, everybody who authored an article based on that brief interaction had the same opinion, which is he just he can't admit he had it wrong. He can't admit he screwed up. What part? What part? If you look at this as a fair and objective person, or if you were to put yourself in his shoes, what part? There was, from a business perspective, that is not the business that Dana's in, boxing. I'm well aware that he could do it, but we agree and are aware that he doesn't do it. That's not what he does. So from a business perspective of attempting to take something to the market where your profits will exceed your expenditures so that you can stay in business, from that perspective, what is it about Fury and Gano that you think, Dane, if he had a crystal ball and could switch seats with somebody right now, knowing what he knows now, what part of that match 
makes you think he would elect that and switch seats. There is no doubt that that match was more competitive than anything our community imagined. There was no doubt that it was more competitive than the boxing community imagined. I'm not convinced there isn't even no doubt that it was more competitive than Francis's cornermen and trainers believed it was going to be. The celebration that they had on their face, including after the decision was read, I believe that he overperformed. As much praise as I can put on that performance. You got to understand, we haven't spent the week after an event ever since we've been together for seven years, guys. We have not spent the week after an event praising the guy who got beat. We've never done this before. So it's a very unique situation. And after we saw the competitiveness of that, mixed with some controversy, mixed with Nate Diaz's very famous statement that the most important part of the fight is the high point of the fight. Whoever had the highest spot in the fight should be looked at. Now, whether that's how the unified rules look at it or not, I think Nate brings a very fair point, and that all went to Francis. This is without question. There is massive amount of articles out there talking about what will Francis do next. There are promoters coming out and talking about different ideas for Francis. Francis lost. There are no promoters out there talking about what Fury will do next. Just to compare it, like this is how unique this situation is. In my lifetime, I have never covered or lived through a sporting event that was more discussed commanded more headlines, got more conversation after the event than it did before it. I'm told the Miracle on Ice hockey game was that way. And they even went on and made a movie about it. I'm told that, but I didn't observe it. I was told that. So as high of praise, but I'm still left with the same question. Why did the competitiveness of that match and the surprise competitiveness of that match and the decision and the surprise decision and the knockdown and the surprise knockdown, why did the competitiveness of any nature change Dana White's decision or view of this from the business standpoint, which is the only standpoint that he was looking at it from? what a contract dispute is about. And that's the part where when you see the narrative, it's confusing. When you say, I want to see other MMA fighters be able to box, and this is proof that that should be done. How? What part of what you saw makes you think, from a business standpoint, that it should be redone? And and I'll just ask it from the same perspective. If you don't like that side of the coin, let's look at the other one. If it was a squash match and Tyson got him out of there in 30 seconds, if he did that, that wouldn't make Dana right. That wouldn't strengthen Dana's resolve. The business side of it does not change 
in any fashion as it relates to the competition itself, which is taking place after the business is closed. The box office, the windows are closed. The pay-per-view, the buttons have been bought. They've been pushed. What is it about the competition and how does it come back to Dana who had nothing to do with the fight? I would like to have that answer because this doesn't seem to be dying down. And the fact that a reporter asked him this face-to-face, right? It's very relevant because only so many people get in the room for that. So you would have some level of prestige to even get a credential. You would have some level of budget within the company you work for to even have the ability to be in there. I don't begrudge the question or that it was asked at all. I'm confused by the narrative that would insinuate, hopefully Dana has learned his lesson. Hopefully he has learned better. That's the part where I'm just at how and why? Why do you think he would switch seats and want to be the guy that lost a small fortune on this? I'm confused by that. What is it about a guy under contract, regardless of how competitive a match was, that loses, that you think would be more valuable? And one of the most interesting things, and it's interesting as it pertains to Dana, is the narrative of the mistake that he made and hopefully the lesson that he learned and the match that you want to see more than any boxing match right now is Francis versus Fury. You want to see that more than you want to see Wilder Fury 3 or you want to see Fury versus Usyk? You want to see that more than any fight. You'd watch that tonight. Oh my God, you'd be so excited, right? Fury versus France is going to be tonight. How exciting, right? You truly believe that. Unless I tell you your other option, You think, Chael, don't even say it. There's no boxing match I want to see more than Engano versus Fury. You say that unless I tell you your other option, which is Fury versus John Jones. If you had to choose between the rematch or a fresh match of Jones versus Fury, that's the one that you would take for multiple reasons. For of, of comparison, of comparatively. Jones sure beat Surreal a lot easier than Francis beat Surreal, but this is striking and this is power and Fury search and destroy. You'd have all these breakdowns, but that's still the match that you would want to see. And the fact that that's the match that you want to see and the, the great evil Dana White, who somehow has a hand in an event with an athlete that hasn't collected a paycheck from him for one year and nine months and three weeks. It's a very confusing narrative. When you talk about a potential lesson learned, you're talking about a potential lesson learned by the very guy that holds the cards to the boxing match you would rather see. You would rather see Jones versus Tyson. Yeah, you would. Sure you would. You'd rather see Angano versus Jones than any MMA fight you can see. And the guy that holds a card that supposedly learned a lesson that isn't telling you the truth isn't looking to book either one of those matches. So perhaps instead of thinking that the straight talker is somehow sliding you, perhaps you should look at the evidence and realize when Dana tells you, I don't care, he's telling you the truth.
guys, who do you have? And I want I want to hear. Give, give me an answer. You'll enjoy this piece more. We'll make it interactive. Who do you have? Just throw it out real fast. Who you got? Piera Prohaska, world title, five rounds. Who do you got? Interesting. Pierre is the favorite. Is that what you said? That surprised me. I like Pierre in that fight. I'm not sure I'm predicting him. That that'll that'll be another conversation. I like him in the fight. Prohaska being an underdog. He's returning for the belt that he never lost. That's interesting to me. And I don't think head-to-head they would have been Pierre on top. Now, DraftKings has them awfully close. I should disclose that. It was like negative 145 to plus 125. I understand that they're close, but it still hedges on the side of Pierre. Look, if I took you back two years, that is not what DraftKings would have had it. If I took you back to when Prohaska won the belt, back to when he was champion, and told you his next opponent is going to be Piera, if that was the time frame, Prohaska would have been the favorite. And we've got a few moving parts here. I mean, Piera has become a number one contender in record time. And there's a few things that helped that to happen. And Piera, as great as he is, is one and one in his last two. And Piera, as great as he is, has won one fight within the weight class. Now, clearly there's more to the story. We don't dispute that Piera is the right guy. I'm sharing for you, for DraftKings to have Piera as the favorite, I mean, what a meaningful difference, what a difference a day makes. As much as Piera might be one and one in his last two, Piera was the world champion of 185 pounds in this calendar year. Should Piera become the world champion at 205 pounds in this same calendar year, he is eligible, and I believe the front runner, for fighter of the year. He would get my vote for fighter of the year. Which again, if we went to DraftKings and presented the idea that Piera was a front-runner for Fighter of the Year two years ago, we would have been laughed at. That would be silly. The good folks at DraftKings would likely respond with, who's Alex Piera? I mean, I don't know if I've seen a guy cover more ground quickly. And this is off the top of my head, like, Errol Hawani's really great with dates and venues. I'm not super great, but I'm, I'm not bad. And I believe that Piera... Main event in Madison Square Garden for one of his last two fights against Adesanya. I think one was at MSG and one was Vegas. I just get which which was which. And my only point is, now you have a guy who DraftKings wouldn't have even known, let alone would DraftKings put as the favorite to a fight two years ago, one year ago. They never even put him in the position or put him in a prediction to be in the position of fighting for a world title at this weight class. Making his second return for titles in main events at Madison Square Garden. What an incredible career. What an incredible story in such a short period of time for Alex Piera. How will he do it? 205 pounds is always going to be a question. He's only done that once, and we can all see he's a very big guy. He got the height of a heavyweight. So we believe that he could do 205 pounds, but we've also seen some great fighters come up and test that theory. Israel Adesanya, by example. And it turns out to be a demonstrative challenge. You also then have Prohaska, who while now being the underdog, 
Two years ago, when he tapped out Glover, if you made this fight, DraftKings would have had him an overwhelming favorite. I'm just sharing. I don't know that there's anything new with Piera. There's nothing new within his training, nothing really new within his skills. There's an observation by us that he was a lot better than we knew or expected him to be. Okay, fair enough, but that's shame on us. Now you're going to put that, because I'm trying to figure out why two years ago would DraftKings have Prohaska at an overwhelming favor? Why would DraftKings not even have recognized Pierre a year ago? What is different now, aside from us seeing? But you also have the other side, which is a suspected, at least historically, decline by somebody who's been out and is returning. A very big respect was shown to Prohaska to put him in this position. There was a lot of moving parts and a lot of team players, which includes Jamal Hill, or this opportunity simply doesn't exist. Fair enough. Prohaska did for someone else, which turned out to be uh, Jamal. What Jamal has now done, which turned out to return the equal favor to Prohaska. But that's still an incredible story. That's not one DraftKings would have predicted. And is this a situation... That's as simple as, Chael, the answer is Piera turned out to be better than we knew he was. Is it as simple as that? Or is DraftKings also factoring in the idea that Prohaska is going to be reduced? It's a return fight. It never gets looked at as a comeback fight if a guy didn't retire first. You cannot have a comeback fight if you don't retire first. But you can be out for the same amount of time as a guy that was retired, which is what Prohaska's doing. You can be out for the same amount of time as a guy that was retired. They just won't call it a comeback fight, but it will look at it and the odds makers will reflect it. And is that what DraftKings has done here? Because it's a very big surprise. And what is it that Prohaska is going to be off on? What is it we believe is going to be off? His timing, his conditioning, his speed. I mean, those things that are all really carried his career. When you talk about heart, you talk about grit, you talk about desire. All you're talking about is a guy's conditioning, nothing else. Conditioning is just not near as fun to say. You want to think you got a special guy that was born and raised different out there in the sand mines. There was something that can't be duplicated. It can be duplicated right now. Are you willing to work hard enough? Are you willing to get in that kind of shape? Because if you are, you will also have grit, determination, and heart greater than others. So is that what we believe is going to be diminished? And I don't know that I'm arguing with DraftKings. I haven't given my prediction. I like Pierre in the fight. I do very much. I think I'm leaning towards Pierre, but I also thought that I was going to be an oddball when I said it. I was stunned to find that DraftKings has him as a negative 145 to a plus 125 over Pierre. It wouldn't have been that way two years ago. It wouldn't have been that way one year ago. And now we only got one question left. Is DraftKings right? got asked to leave the gym in England where Leon Edwards trains. And I got to tell you at the very beginning, my first reaction, that hurt my feelings. That hurt my feelings for Ian Gary. I know what it's like to be a young guy trying to get through and doing a good job in the media and getting some attention, but you're still the poorest guy in the gym. You're still far more unlikely to headline an event just with your own gym. And what an honor and opportunity to have a champion, the champion of the weight class. 
the guy that has already achieved and done what your life's dream is to do. And here you are making a sacrifice. To be out there, it's a financial sacrifice. It's a physical sacrifice. And you're helping to polish and you're helping to shine him. And you're helping him to keep that belt, the very belt that you're aspiring to have, but that's your teammate, that's your friend, it's your workout partner. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting situation. And the coaches, there will never be a meaningful coach. Like it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if there's millions of dollars on the line or if you're nine years old playing Little League. That coach is a father figure. It, it's somebody that you would trust with everything. Where if you're in a place where you get one phone call and you know it's to him, you know it's he's going to handle it. You trust him fully. You would trust him with secrets, with your advice. You're trusting him with your career. If he yells something for you to do blindly, you will do it. And you will have full confidence that your best interests are in mind when it came out of his mouth in the first place. Whether it works out or not, you'll know where his heart was. So if you then have that person, that coach that comes and tells you that somebody that you idolize has privately come to them and that they, the coach, are making a business decision to honor the request and it means that you go. It's a very hurtful thing. I didn't like reading it. When Ian Gary, who comes out, right, his his gimmick, it's very brash, it's very in your face, he doesn't care. He has no boss, he makes the rules. When he did the interview about this, you started to see, and he was trying to stay in character. He was trying to give it from that perspective, but the real guy was coming through, and it also hurt him. The surprise and the disappointment that he had, it also hurt him. And I won't share with you who was wrong. Like, there could be other parts to the story, and it's not the first time that we've heard it. I'll give you an example, and allegedly. But Amanda Nunes stopped training with Kayla Harrison as Kayla was getting better and better. But I do feel that Amanda's situation was slightly different in that Kayla was speaking about those workouts, saying that they happened and made it clear to anybody that would listen that when that opportunity comes, she would take it. When I tell you I'm not here to pass judgment, I don't suggest for you that Kayla did something wrong, but I would suggest for you if you were there first and somebody came in and did this and you're helping and giving to them, that there could be a little bit of, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. I get that. I could pass that around. That's not how we did it in the world of wrestling. You could be as uncomfortable as you want. Every day at three, here's what's going to happen. Anybody who would like to come through those doors to get exercise and a workout and will. And the only condition is they show respect and do exactly what the coach asked them to. That's the deal. Anybody can come in. It could be your rival, be your opponent, be the guy that stopped you from having your dreams come true. And you could do it to him. It's universal. Any, any, anywhere in the world for wrestling. Any country, any city, any high school, any college, any way that you wanted to do it. Anybody that finds out about the workout that shows up and is willing to do whatever the coach asks him gets to come. So I don't have an ability to relate to it, but I would like to share with you something as I tell you, I'm not passing judgment. Something that was a surprise and does change the dynamic of what I said just a little is I thought Ian Gary was at Stanford MMA. I thought he was teammates with Blahal. 
with Luque, with Usman, with Burns. That's what I thought. I thought that that was his gym. So now I'm left to guess. And I got to disclose to you guys, I am guessing. I don't have this information. But my guess would be that Ian Gary and Luke and the coaches at Stanford were not totally comfortable with everybody training together at the same time. So whoever's idea it was, and it might have been Ian's on his own, decided to get on a plane and go to England, and that's where he was going to prepare for the Luke fight. And that in and of itself would be a very difficult thing to ever return to Sanford MMA. If he was asked to leave, by example, you can't go back. But if it was your idea to leave, and by the way, these are going to be your new cornermen, these are going to be your new guys for this fight, you've got a problem. First off, this gym isn't going to forget that that's what you did and that's where you chose. And moreover, if you go to these guys and you did explain to them up front, here's the reason and here's the cause and let's go do this together, they know that you're not loyal to them back. And the idea of loyalty in MMA or the idea in combat is a very rare one. But it's hard to go anywhere if you don't have it. Because if you don't have it and display it, no matter what checks you're right, no matter what your ranking is, no matter what opportunity you have, the other guy's not going to be all in. And in a game like this, which is a game of inches, if they don't trust and have loyalty and know that you're here, not just for this one, but win or lose for the next one, and win or lose for the next one, and win or lose for the next one, a real coach, a father figure, the same guy that you had in junior high, or at least that same idea and mentality where you could trust him completely. If you don't have that, from both sides, you have a big problem. So if I'm right, it's a big if, if I'm right, that that's what Gary was doing in England in the first place. That he was out there because Luke stayed at Stanford and the coaches chose him, or he and Luke, who appear to be buddies, I mean, remember that phone call, remember the phone call that they had with each other? Maybe they just worked it out on their own. Instead of splitting times and staggering times, instead of doing that at the same facility, right, there's a lack of trust by somebody. Whether they openly admit it or not, one of them, if I'm right, if he went there because of this fight, has a lack of trust. You could stay on this end of the room. You could come at three. He comes in at five. There's a number of ways to name that baby. But if you pack up and you leave and you're not even in the same facility with the same teammates and the same coach, it's very hard to go back. And if I'm right, if that is the situation, he's been asked to not go to England, why did he leave Sanford in the first place? Was that his choosing? If that was his choosing, he's not going to be Mr. Welcome back at Sanford, whether they act like he is or not. Oh, hey, it's great to see you. Glad that you're back. It's not. It's not. They now know. They now know before they hand you or put the secret sauce or give you the extra attention, they now know that they don't have any trust with you because you didn't trust them and you demonstrated that by leaving. Like it, it, Things get really interesting. And I don't celebrate that on behalf of Gary. As a young guy who's trying to find his way and he's taking big sacrifices, I would like to see it work out. I would like to see people be a little bit nicer to him. But now I am curious. If those were his two gyms, and those gyms are now out, where is he preparing? I mean, that Luke fight is a real uphill battle for both of them. I mean, that, that's just a very difficult fight. Momentum, newness, freshness appears to be on the side of Gary. But boy, experience and a proof that you can get it done, not to mention with the fantastic submission skills against a more of a striking guy. I mean, you got a really interesting match. Can we just agree on that? 
but you get an interesting match just on its own and just with the merits. Coaches are not going to do a whole lot. A lot, a lot of that is make-believe. I understand that, but they are going to do something. You have tendencies that whether you know you have them or not, they do exist, and your teammate does know that you have them. So if one guy is to leave or one guy gets chosen or, or, or teammates can't be trusted, they can give something that's very valuable. It's very helpful. I do not attempt to say that coaches can't do a lot. What I'm sharing for you is when you get to the professional sports, you get to Division I athletics, you have somebody, if they're on a scholarship and they're paid to be it, they're already very good. There's not a huge learning curve. So a guy can get here, a coach is right here, right? That coach can make up that gap. If you believe in that coach and he sees something and, and, and he's, he can make that gap up, he for sure can pull you up. But if you got a separation, you don't have loyalty and this whole thing's based on what? What is it possibly based on if it's not about loyalty? Is it based on money? There's not, there's not big money here. It's not any of the coaches that are in it just for the money. Any, anywhere. So it's an interesting spot. I don't have the answers. Did my best to tell that story as best that I can, but I am disclosing to you guys that some of it is guesses. But I do know that Gary did have a relationship with that gym in England. I know that because I read interviews that Gary did about Leon, where, by the way, he put him over. He said the most incredible things. Gary said some of the most incredible things about the well-roundedness of Leon. He can do everything, wrestle, jujitsu, great shape, punch, kick, knee, elbow. I mean, I just, I, I remember this. So there was some kind of relationship that wasn't just new where he comes in the door. Hey, look, I got to tell you. So if that relationship's gone and the one at Sanford, right? I mean, that's, that's separate. Whether they've told him that or not, if he tries to show up back to Sanford and act like everything's good after he left in the first place, right? I mean, things get really weird. They get really weird really fast, which just brings me back to my question. Where is Ian Gary preparing for his upcoming fight with Luke? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you to everyone on Spotify who answered my poll question on Tuesday's show. I appreciate the responses. I want you to enjoy Saturday's card. I want you to cheer for the Black Beast because he had to come out of handcuffs just to get to Sao Paulo. And I want you to be back here next Tuesday where I'm going to discuss it all. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.